0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And we are so pleased to have you back as we continue our Bible study about friendship and this early church fathers. It's just rich. There's so much here. And I love the fact that they place such an emphasis on friendship. It was important. It was a big part of what it was to be a Christian back in those days. It's formation. And
1: absolutely. The iron, the iron sharpens iron. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's biblical mm-hmm.
0: and that should be first and foremost, a big, you know, indication. Indi- yeah. yeah. Indication that uh, we should prioritize it in our lives as well. And, um, you know, there's no greater example than of course, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ who fostered friendship, And in fact, um, in this chapter that we're going to be discussing, which is about St. John Chrysostom.
1: That's kind of a hard name. It is. I was going to say, how do you say that? I always say Chrysostom.
0: Chrysostom. 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 I don't Mm -hmm. know. I didn't look it up as what the actual proper thing is. It does mean golden mouth, though. I knew that. So he was known as being a beautiful preacher and that uh, the way he...
1: Just I love this. His sermons were the chief popular entertainment in Antioch. Yes, what entertainment. Did it were? Yeah. What did it were that
0: entertainment would be the would be Christian uh, preaching in this day and age. Although I will say that you know that um, podcast of the Bible in a year yes. with Father Mike Schmidt got is really really popular. So. Who knows yeah, maybe and you we're know what's moving still as to popular direction. too
1: is the Fulton Sheen. You you see oh, you have his yeah, r- yeah. on YouTube and yeah, he, I listen to them from time to time and he's so entertaining. He, he is very entertaining. <laughs> he's a character. He really is. We need someone else like him.
0: But one of the things I love uh I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I just want to give the title of there's a section of this chapter uh which talks about how St John Chrysostom is just put hot, such a high priority on friendship. And he says, making, fr- and the title of the subtitle of this part of the chapter is making friends should be your vocation. Mm. And that, you know, he really, St. John Chrysostom thought, really thought that it should be our, made our job to make friends. And that if we did that, there'd be no stopping us. And I think uh, that's a beautiful way to look at um, evangelization from the viewpoint of, the primary thing, make friends. Right, right. You know, and I actually gave a talk recently, um, and Pam was there, yes. uh, where I talked about evangelization from the standpoint of instead of it just being a matter of, you know, sharing the truths of the faith, you know, a more theological mindset about evangelization, but really the idea of evangelization being the sharing of yourself as a Christian. And that right. in, in the sharing of oneself in honesty, and in truth, in, in vulnerability, becomes a means of evangelization.
1: Right. They, the term that day they kept using frequently, which I thought was so beautiful, it's really stayed with me, is fire ignites fire. Mm. And I just pray that Lord keep igniting that fire within me so that I might share it. And that's one of the reasons we do the podcast, Megan, is because it helps us to be that fire and to share our fire with others. Absolutely, and
0: at the beginning of this chapter, it talks about is your fire visible? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a really important thing. Uh, the this, The subtitle um, of the this part of the chapter says, "Do your friends see a Christian when they look at you?" Yeah. Now that is a really, I think, important place of um, self examination. Right that we really ought to pause and and consider that every now and then.
1: Yeah. The way I see it, especially since I I work in an environment where it's not just known what your faith is, is I usually say, I do not want someone to leave a conversation with me and not know that I love the Lord Jesus, that Mm -hmm. I am a Christian. I mean, I, I don't want them to guess I want people to know, and that happens a lot in my work because I see clients and even with my clients, I want to make sure that I am authentically myself and hold nothing back for my love of the Lord. And if I do that, then obviously that will show. And I I pray that to be the truth. Absolutely. There's a beautiful quote. I don't know if it's beautiful. I just think it's
0: actually more pithy, I would say. A quote (laughs) from from C.S. Lewis where he says, "Um, if you were on trial... For being a Christian, would you be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt? Is there enough evidence to
1: convict you? Yeah. Yeah. Is there enough
0: evidence to be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt?
1: So good. And
0: it you know, I like to think about that. I do I do think like if somebody were to come in to my life and look at my life and try to prove that I'm not a Christian, would they have a leg to stand on? What would be their evidence? to contradict my claim of Christianity.
1: Right. It, you know, it lends itself to think of, is that what the judgment's going to be like? Yeah. yeah. Well, good point. Very <laughs> that, good you point. Know, is there enough evidence to convict me that I am a Christian?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, one of the quotes that I wanted to bring uh, into this discussion from the book is that um, it says, this is a quote from St. John Chrysostom. It says, it is because of the way we live that there are thousands of blasphemies everywhere. Mm. And it also brings to mind that quote from uh, Gandhi. Have you ever heard the quote from him? He said, I would become a Christian if I ever met one. And what he was saying by that is that he has had such respect for the teachings of the Christian faith, but yet he had met basically no one who actually lived them. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's important to remember that doesn't mean that you never sin. Because everybody's, you know, St. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, except the Blessed Mother. But um, we will fall short of what it is to be a Christian because we're not perfect. It's not so much that we may sin that becomes the problem, it's what we do. After we've sinned or what we do to try to prevent the sinning, even if we fall short, because the reality is, is that it is hypocrisy that is the greatest scandal. It's when we are out there preaching and saying, this is the way things should be, and this is what you should do and everything. But those rules don't really apply to me, and I'm going to go and live my life in this way uh, that's contrary to those those teachings and those beliefs. And I'm going to rationalize and justify all these sort of things. That's different than I failed to live up to who I'm meant to be, and I repent of that, and I am sorry for any. Any, you know, scandal that caused you and I am going to do whatever I can to try to convert more deeply in my heart.
1: And another way to say that is how have we loved? How have we loved in our thoughts, our words, and our actions? Because sin is what keeps us from loving. So how well have we loved? Absolutely.
0: And that's, you know, that can be a place... that you can take every evening to examination of conscience and, and just ask that question. How have I loved today? Have I loved in a way that people saw Christ in me? Have I loved with purity of heart and purity of intention to, to regularly examine Mm -hmm. those things? Because it's not unless we, it's not until we look at them in a way that's explicit and intentional that we're going to truly understand whether we're doing it or not. You know, so often we go about living our lives in very thoughtless ways. I don't mean thoughtless in the the way of saying that we're just trampling on people and don't care about other people. I'm saying it in the most literal way. We don't think about stuff.
1: Like not being intentional about our actions. Exactly.
0: Or not really examining things after they've happened to truly understand what was really going on there within myself. What was I projecting to others? You know, what were my intentions? All those sort of things. If we don't look at those things, honestly, we won't learn from things and we won't grow. But another thing that as far as not growing, that I think he makes a really good point in this uh, part of the chapter, is uh, brings to mind something that I will say as a convert. When I hear an adult Catholic Christian say these words, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Oh, And these words are, well, I was poorly catechized. Oh, <laughs> That's your new pet peeve. It's not new. It's <laughs> like pretty much ever since I've been Catholic. So 10 oh, years now. My and the reason it bothers me so much is because what it does, it says my knowledge of the faith, And thus my living of the faith is dependent on what others taught me or didn't teach me back in the day. That's true. When you are an adult, you are responsible for your own growth and faith. And if you don't know something, learn it.
1: (laughs) Amen. Prioritize it. And, you know, I find, um, Megan, you may... You may have had this experience too. That as as a convert, as we both are, uh, the only way we came to know and come into the faith was doing lots of research and yeah, personal reading, listening, everything like that. And um, we need to continue to teach that to our children who we're raising in the faith. Um, instead of having them just take our word for it, you know, absolutely, I totally agree with it? that. Um, yeah. But but it is different. Like, how do you? you know, this is a whole other show, maybe. But like, how do you spark that interest in them? For us, it was we were drawn to the flame of love in the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Well, they're already in the flame, and just on the outskirts. I don't know. Another show, another show. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought this topic
0: up is because um, there's a quote from this chapter where it says. Basically, they're saying, uh, he's talking about how there'll be Christians who are telling people to, well, the holy people are like the guys that go out in the desert and are like the monks out there in the desert. And we, you know, things here in the city are a little different. And, you know, if you really want to learn about what it is to be a faithful Christian, you know, you need to go out there and check out those guys. Well, St. John says, uh, and are you not ashamed? To confess to being a Christian and yet to send him to others because you cannot convince him that you live like a Christian. Mm. And that's why I bring it up. It's like, you know, when somebody says, well, I don't know, you know, well, I was poorly catechized. You know, I don't really know that about the faith or whatever. And you you need to go, go listen to that podcast or go, you know, look under this rock or whatever. Go find it somewhere else because I don't, I don't know that okay, you are saying that it's not important enough to me to find out the answer to that or to know that, and I'll send you somewhere else. Like, I'm not saying you have to know everything when somebody asks you a question, but you should care to know. Mm. If you find that you have an area within your knowledge of the faith that's lacking, because if we're meant to be Christians where our faith is the primary thing in our lives, we should desire to grow more and more in knowledge and understanding. And when we have a place of lack of knowledge revealed to us, our first impulse should be, let me find out about that. Not only for your sake, but for mine. Exactly. I don't want to be a Christian in ignorance. That's right. I don't want to be professing a faith that I know very little about. You know, and because the you know the Lord says, if you love me, you will do my commands. Well, you can't do commands you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, and so, and also when when people have obstinacy in their heart about what the faith does teach, and say, well, yeah, I know it says that in the Bible, but nah, I I don't agree with that, so I'm just not going to follow that part. Well. What is that about? Arrogance, pride. Yeah, and it's not loving Mm. the Lord. Mm -mm. And so to claim I'm a Christian, but I'm going to put aside what Christ teaches, not only is that not going to be an authentic witness to others, you are in a very perilous place
1: Mm. of
0: being one who, when you come to the Lord, because you talked about that day of judgment. When you come to the Lord, say, hey, Jesus, Christian all my life, just depart from me. I never knew you.
1: Right, right. And one of the things that I've heard that made such an impression on me is like, it's one thing to acknowledge Jesus as the son of God it's quite another to follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian, to Mm -hmm. actually follow him, follow the commands and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Absolutely. And
0: and really it does come to down to love, right? If you love him, you want to do what pleases him. It's it's your delight. You know, um, if you want to read you know, David the psalmist, go on and on and on about it, read Psalm one nineteen. It's the longest psalm and it goes on and on and on about your law is my delight, your law is my food, your law, you law it's like your law is is everything to me and Why? No, not because you want to be a slave to law, but because the law is the heart of God. It's what he desires for us and from us. It's how we show our love to him by to live within the ways that he's designed us to live and to trust the reason he's designed these things and giving us these these dictates is for love of us. That's right.
1: For our goodness, our happiness and our joy.
0: Right. And, it's, and it says, I trust you, Lord, when you say, I submit to your will. I want to do what is your will. And that is my delight because I trust that what you desire for me is the best thing for me. And when we go contrary to that and we try to go our own way and make our own rules, we're saying, I don't trust that you have my good in mind, Lord. And well, what kind of friendship is that?
1: Right. And it happens. You. I just want to make a qualifier here that we do have times in our life where we feel that way. Yeah, Because sure. when, when bad things happen and bad things will happen, um, it's not within our power to really know why. We don't know the mind of God to know why these things are happen. But that's the moment where you start to increase our trust. I do not have the mind of God. And my Lord, I trust in you. I increase my trust. We must always increase our trust because in our humanity, you know, one time I heard that, a part of sin is the lack of trust, and right, that really yeah. resonated with me. I think too. it's. Big, I
0: think it's honestly, really the root of most, all of sin, lack is of trust. Lack of trust that God truly knows what's best for us and truly
1: desires our good. Right, and and this I think in large part because we are such sensual beings. We're we're made up in a corporal body that feels so much, both in emotion and in our physicality too. And when things hurt, we think it's wrong or bad, which in in fact, the Lord shows us on the cross. It can be beautiful. True. That is absolutely true. And when
0: we're in that place of trust and we really, really believe that God has given us teachings for our good and, that they really do lead to life and joy and peace. Not only should we want to live them ourselves, but we also should want those we love to experience the blessings of it. And so, in this chapter, it does go into a fair bit talking about, again, admonishment. I mean, that just comes up again and again and again, right? Mm-hmm. And it basically, it's saying, you know, that you should want to keep your friends out of trouble. That's, that's, uh, you know, one of the subtitles of the chapter. And then it says, uh, are your friends getting themselves into things they shouldn't? That's when they need you argue with them, make them feel ashamed, grab them by the shirt. If you must, Yes, whatever it takes, keep them out of trouble and let them know that you expect the same treatment from them. So, as we come to trust God more and more and desire the good of the other of our friends, again, it's going to put us in that place where if we see them going off in a place where we is contrary to God's will and we know it to have that boldness that comes from true love, the true love that's willing to suffer, even the displeasure of a friend in order to bring them into a
1: place of truth And the goodness of God, um, you know, I had, ai don't know, I I thought I picked this up through like a morning of reflection or it's somewhat biblically based. So you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong. But if Christian to Christian, if I see that my brother or sister is sinning in a way that really uh, is grave, if I say nothing and let it go, I take on that sin myself. Is that not true? Yeah, no. I mean, I've always felt that way. It's Mm -hmm. like we have this moral obligation and then if we overlook it, if we just pass over it, we take on that sin.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the, how there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Mm -hmm. So not speaking would be like a sin of omission of it's, it's a sin against love. It's a sin against charity Mm -hmm. to be silent. When you see someone you love going down a path that leads to a pit. Right. And know? let's just
1: talk about some of those for a second that people have, or have, are, are, it's becoming so commonplace fornication, sex outside of mm. marriage. Um, that's a big, huge one that yeah. is going on these days, which he mentions in the book. Cause that's why we think of yeah. it too, because it's always been there. It's always been for ages because we have oh, such a hard yeah. time. Yeah. Cause we're yeah, fleshy. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, controlling our, our mortal bodies, but if you say nothing, people are living together. Mm-hmm. If you say nothing, you're taking on that sin.
0: Yeah. and the, You know, you get into so many situations there where people are, they're truly afraid of rupturing the relationship. And, they, and they, you know, they don't, they, the rationalization can easily come if I speak to this. That person's going to put me out of their lives and then I won't be able to be a witness to them anymore. And so there I'm justified in not saying anything so that can continue to be a witness to them. But the reality is you have not been a witness to them. And as soon as you start not being a witness, they're not going to receive your witness anymore anyway, because you've already shown yourself not to be true.
1: Right. Do you have a scenario in your head that you're thinking about or no? Because I mean, I'm like, "Ah." not in particular. Okay. You
0: know, uh, but you know, like for example, a lot of times you get this situation where you've got, say, uh, a child who's cohabitating with someone and they come to visit, and you don't want to tell the child, you know, you can't stay in the same room because that's going to be awkward and your child might be mad at you and they're, they're, boyfriend or girlfriend might think that you're a hater and a la 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 la. And so you're like, Oh, well, I'm so afraid of rupturing my relationship with my child and looking bad to this other person that I'm not going to stand on this teaching. Mm-hmm. So basically what you're then saying is to, you've already shown them a bad witness. So any other thing you speak as a witness is compromised going forward because you've already shown yourself not to be faithful to the teachings that you're espousing. Exactly. And so it all snowballs on itself, Mm -hmm. right? Right. But it is important also to remember that we can't get it all done at once. And there's a good quote, I think, from the the chapter that says, for a while, by whatever means, keep him away from the evil practice. Let him get used to not going off into that pit. So no, you're not going to stay. So for that example, no, when you come here, you're not going to stay together. When you come here, you're not going to stay together. You know, so gradually, you know, they get the picture. That's not going to happen anymore. So whether through you or through other means, keep them, try to keep them from going in that pit. So when you've gotten him used to not going, then by taking him after he has caught his breath a little, you'll be able to teach him that he ought to do this for God's sake and not simply for man's. Don't do this just for mom. Do this for God, right? Don't try to fix everything at once since you can't, but do it gently by degrees. And that it does speak to that patience we need to have uh, when we do have friends who are struggling to live um, the teachings of the faith or even with ourselves, you know. Yeah, there's definitely things in my life where I wish I could just turn it off like a switch and never, ever, ever, ever do that again. <laughs> but it doesn't Amen. always work that no, way. No, it does You know, and I trot myself off to confession regularly for the same stuff, just like everybody else does, mm-hmm. because that switch doesn't get turned off, you know, immediately. And there's work that still needs to be done, and there's grace that's still necessary. And the, the beautiful thing about it is, is the Lord uses even that, even our falls, to remind us you need exactly. a Savior. You need a savior.
1: Oh, happy fault. Yeah.
0: Well, we don't have a lot of time left on this chapter, but I do want to just get into one little bit right at the end, because it's kind of an interesting section uh, entitled, When Should You Lie to Your Friends? (laughs) And St. John gets himself into a little bit of a situation with one of his friends, Basil, and it's not that Basil, the one that we talked about with Gregory. Um, but basically we got this situation where it seems back in the day they're constantly wanting to acclaim people, bishops who didn't want to be bishops. And these two uh, were in that scenario. They both, the the crowds wanted to make both of them bishops and neither of them wanted to be a bishop. They really kind of wanted to go to a monastery and just sort of do that. Um, but the, the thing is, is that St. John Recognizes I would be a junkie bishop. I have no business being a bishop, but my friend Basil over here would actually be awesome. He really has all the qualities that would make a good bishop. And I feel that if he's not a bishop, that would be taking something away from the church. So he devises this little plot where he pretends that he's going to go be a bishop too. Like, all right, well, let's just do this together, Basil. You know, it'll be okay. We can support each other. And and then he totally reneges, <laughs> but but makes it look like he did it so that Basil will do it. Basil agrees to do it because sweet Basil just like loves St. John so much as pretty much would do anything mm. he wanted. And so he does it and then he finds out he's been duped by his friend. And St. John Chrysostom basically says, I was justified. I was justified for the good of the church. Because, you know, you wouldn't have done it otherwise, and I'm doing it for, you know, the good of the church and your own good. And it's all, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, be a little fast and loose with with the truth in order for a greater good. And Basil is not having it. He, because, you know, this is what St. John Chrysostom says in his justification. It says, for a well-timed deception undertaken with an upright intention has such advantages that many persons have often had to undergo punishment for abstaining from fraud. <laughs> he's just like... Uh, Interesting. You know, he's... And, I, you know, I just wanted to talk about it. We don't have to go into great detail about quoting it and everything. But, okay, if you think that you see qualities in your friend that are beautiful and awesome and that they're kind of pulling back from living up to these beautiful charisms that you see in them. Yes. Be an encourager. Call your friend to hire, but do it honestly, do it upfront. Don't go behind their back and try to have some plot to, to devise something that you think should happen in this person's life. It's disrespectful to their, t- their dignity. And it's damaging to your friendship. Mm. And and I mean, he like really, really was hurt Basil by what his friend did because he felt like he put some greater good above their bond. And, you know, I imagine how it could have gone differently if if St. John had come to his friend and said, look, man, I know that I have no business being a bishop. I'm going to be junk at this but you could be awesome. You could be amazing. And I really think you should do it. And I'll be here for you. I'll support you. I'll pray for you. I'll help you in any way you can. I just got to say, like, I see such goodness in you, such beauty in you, such a, a, a gift of shepherding that I couldn't be your friend and not tell you, I think you should do it. I really think you should do it. Like maybe yes. it would have gone differently. Well, guess what? St. John later does become a bishop.
1: <laughs> so, you know, even that he he, he didn't yeah. live out on. Definitely but, could have been handled differently.
0: Yeah. I think it really does go back to that point of you got to communicate. Don't just take things into your own, own hands and think that you know the best for your friend and just go ahead and do it. Like talk, right. be open with each other, share the the truths of what you believe about who each other is and support each other and admonish if you need to, cajole if you have to, but always with honesty, with patience and, you know, honoring the preciousness of the relationship. Right. And
1: the dignity of the other. Yeah, I think exactly. It's so important to always honor that dignity in the other. For For certain.
0: Well, anything else you want to say about this chapter?
1: No, I really, I really enjoy this one. Yeah, there's a lot in it, mm-hmm. it's just rich, rich, rich stuff. But, you know, I, I just always like to, to reflect on how that applies to us today. And that really, at the heart of it is, you are loving another if you call out their sin to them. You're loving them, my people. It's not, don't be concerned about your own feelings or how you'll be perceived, because Christ is calling you to, to call out the drunkard, to call out the fornicator, call them out you know with love and kindness so as to win the souls for christ for sure but
0: also don't forget the flip side when you see goodness when you see beauty when you see excellence in your friends speak to it excellent yeah honor that within them and encourage them to use it for the building of the kingdom we all need encouragement don't we absolutely all
1: need encouragement
0: It's the both-and, baby. That's
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you will join us again as we continue on this journey through the book. And until next time, let's stay united in prayer. God bless. God bless.